Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show! Alright! What's up, indie entrepreneurs, indie entrepreneurs, uh, people working for yourself, people wanting to work for yourself, people on the path to working for yourself, because we've all had crappy jobs, and boy does that ever... You know, is that ever crappy? Every Tuesday on The Fizzle Show, we publish another conversation for people creating businesses to live life on their own terms, okay? It's amazing to design how you spend your own time, to live life your way and fund yourself independently. And it's difficult to do it though, okay? There are no guarantees. You will need to work for it, all right? But it is possible to do it. People are finding success, creating a sustainable living, following key practices and principles of modern business. And finally, there's a new one today, it's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, the self-discovery alone is worth the effort. And you don't have to do it alone. It's amazing, it's difficult, it's possible, and it's worth it. That's why we do The Fizzle Show, to help our community every single week. Now, speaking of our community, you don't have to do this alone. You've got us on the podcast, sure, but you're also maybe moving faster than that. Or you want to be moving faster with more motivation towards your independence goal, more motivation, more guidance, more all of that stuff, right? We have a membership community for you. What does that mean, membership community? It's just affordable monthly payment to be a part of a group of people who are helping each other get further faster, right? Basically, if you need to know something, if you need guidance for this step or the next step, if you want answers to your questions, if you want insanely valuable feedback, or you know, if you want guided coaching calls every single week, as well as interviews with founders, yeah, there's a lot of stuff inside of there. Right? And if you want all of that with our signature style, right? our honesty, our heart, our chutzpah, and our experience that you've come to know here at The Fizzle Show, you're going to want to check out what we do at Fizzle. It's super affordable. It's $35 a month, but you can try it for free for five weeks when you go to fizzle.co slash try five. All right, fizzle.co slash try five. There's a special offer for you there just as a listener of the Fizzle Show. All right, follow along at home at fizzleshow.co slash 214. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. What's up, Corbett Barr? What's up, Steph Crowder? hey Yo. How you guys doing today? Fantastic. Uh, what's, what's your life like, Steph? What's your life out there like? Uh, Well, geez, I guess technically I'm in Portland, right? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. When this thing <laughs> airs, you're going to be in Portland. But give me your life right now. We're, we're recording. You know, life is good uh, for all my friends in the Midwest. It's been pretty cold. Apparently, it's May. Maybe we'll get some good weather soon. But uh, all is well. All is well. All is well. Corbett Barr, how's your life, bro? I'm questioning things right now. You're questioning some oh, stuff? Geez. Yeah, I just... Uh... You know, there's that screen on, on your phone, if you flip far enough, that there's like news headlines and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Don't go there. Well... I don't know what, too late. what happened. I just thumbed too far and, and now I'm on that screen. But I'm, I'm, I'm questioning things because, uh, you know, I feel like these apps know something about you. And, yeah. you know, the more you browse, the more they learn about you. Yeah, they, yeah. But uh, I must have made some bad choices in my life because there's a headline here, which I can't believe this is a news headline. This is in the news section. <laughs> Does it call you out by name? <laughs> Corbett, read this. No. But it's under trending. Uh-huh. This is not news. Yeah. It, I, I, <laughs> oh, God. I don't even. I, I actually loathe Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> this is still set I'm up. Much, <laughs> I'm much more of a so you think you can dance guy. Oh, my God. But, but listen, there's this headline. It says DWTS, which I can only intuit means Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> DWTS is David Ross's dance partner. Farts in his face. No. <laughs> Come on. Yes. No, I'm Come not it. joking. This is trending. This is trending on in my list of news headlines. Yeah. Yeah. How can I stop this? You don't, well, there is a way to turn off your There's so much about Apple that I don't news. want. <laughs> but first of all, that just made for an incredible, you know, 29 seconds of Fizzle Show radio. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it goes down in the history. Uh, it's one of, a, one of our, our great moments when Corbett... <laughs> 
accidentally thumbed too far. Quote, quote, thumbed too far. Yeah. Like, I, I want a shirt that says that. Just Helvetica, white on black. Just thumbed too far, question mark. Didn't like what I found. <laughs> so, today on The Fizzle Show, we've obviously, we're in good spirits, and we're talking about something that's actually kind of, uh, it's a little bit heavy, you know, this idea. What if you've been working for, like, a while? Like, say you've been working for 12 months, a year or even 12 months, or a year, or something like that. For some reason, I was like, 12 months, or a year. <laughs> but say you've been working for a while on something, and you know what it's like when you're working on something. You're kind of worried, like, what's next? Like You're focused on, like, oh, I'm writing this thing, or I'm making that thing, or I'm doing this, or, or the other. But then after a little while, you kind of, you come up for air for maybe for the first time in a while, and you go, wait, is this working at all? Like, is this getting me anywhere like closer to where I want to be. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's not that you just take your head up after a year. Maybe you're acutely aware the whole yeah, time that yeah. you don't seem to be making much progress. Yeah. And then you get to a major milestone, like, okay, it's been a year. Yeah. And what if you just have zero to show for it or close to zero? Yeah. So, right. The question here is like, say you're, Steph, were you about to say something? No, I was not. Okay. No, she's like, no, I would never I say anything. I was coughing. I was trying to do it away from the microphone. <laughs> so say you're, build, you're, you're building your thing and you get to some milestone and you're like, I'm not, this isn't the thing. Like, I'm not, it's not working. Right. It's well, not working. I think it also, there, another question we get all the time. So yes, if you've gotten zero traction, that's one thing. But we also hear all the time, like, what is normal in a year, right? Like, that's the other uh, thing is uh, people not really having any sense of like, I've made a little, little bit of progress, but is this good enough? Like, is this enough to count myself as successful? I think that's mm. another big question mark as part of this conversation. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, if I have very little to show after a year, what are the chances that this is going to go somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on the show today, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, how do we diagnose sort of say you're in this situation or you could potentially because the truth is, is you could potentially be in this situation at some point right right uh one of the reasons i really love that we called ourselves fizzle is is what i'm realizing the other day is in every business you will start to fizzle in every single business seth godin call, calls it the dip right there's this there's this point where it's like wait a minute this is really hard you find yourself naturally doing some other stuff instead of this your motivation is waning the question of entrepreneurship for you is what do you do when you start to fizzle, right? When you start to fizzle. And this is a, a textbook situation of like, not like you've probably been a little bit fizzling for a while. And then there's this huge eruption of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like, oh my God, I just realized how long I've been working on this and how few results I have on it. Mm -hmm. What I want to get into today is diagnosing all right where do we go from here right what where are the problems that where where are the where are the places where we could look to like try to fix something here yeah right so there's a bunch of different categories that we've got that you could like here's where this might be you might have this problem or you might have that problem you might have that problem you might have that problem let's look through these let's see which kind of problem you might have mm -hmm. at the very least this gives you a next run of like experiments for testing where your fix can potentially come from right right um so i want to talk about that but first let's go to what steph was just talking about let's talk about expectations for all of us thinking about we've we're about to start working on you know maybe you're just getting started about to start working on a year for like 12 month goal of having a successful thing launched right so whatever i'm trying to do okay what should i expect to be able to accomplish in that year, mm -hmm. in that first year or that first six months. This is something that came up when we were talking about this, just like your expectations matter a ton. Corbett, tell me about expectations for an, like, like, I don't know, is there a place in your life where you, where you kind of slammed into, where you realized your expectations were too high and you had to deal with reality in a way that was painful? Because what I'm saying, honestly, that's my way of doing things. Mm. I normally have my expectations too high or too far. And then it's this real massive personal development work of bringing those expectations down to the real world and going that course. Right. Yeah. So, uh, we've, we've talked about this before. I think a smarter approach is to set your expectations around the work that you can do. Mm. So focus on what you can control yeah. that you believe will lead to the results that you want. 
and then measure the results secondarily after, you know, some, some milestone. So we could be talking about someone here, um, who has spent a year on something and doesn't have much to show for it. Yeah. I don't know what their expectations are. Yeah. Uh, but the question is, did they do the work mm-hmm. right? That yeah. is required to yeah. lead that, that could even lead to the results that they hope to have. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is just something that I've adopted. And I think we try to adopt on the fizzle team as well. When we work on something, instead of saying, I want X hundred thousand readers or, you know, some high level goal like that, we say, we break it down and say, what actions can we take that might lead to that result that we want? Yeah. And then we measure ourselves against that. So, okay, let's say we want, uh, you know, a hundred thousand listeners on our podcast in a year. One of our goals might be to publish every week or twice a week or something like that. Yeah. It might also be that there's some sort of outreach that we need to do. There are certain activities that we need to do. Yeah. If you don't focus on that and instead just say, I want X hundred thousand readers or listeners or customers or whatever, and don't break down that goal, then you might run around in circles for that whole year, just stabbing in the dark, trying a bunch of things and not having any real methodical strategy Mm. to lead you where you want to go. Yeah. And you could also be really disappointed, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Especially when, you know, it's at the end of a year, at least if you had focused on the activities that you need to do, you can look back and judge yourself on that. Mm. And then you can say, at least I did the work. Mm. I learned from it. And the circumstances didn't lead me to the results that they wanted to. And mm-hmm. then you can try to plan a new strategy. But if at the end of the year, you don't even know what you did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All you know is that you didn't reach that big goal. Mm. And you're probably going to be really disappointed. And you're also yeah. going to know a lot less about what you should do next. Mm. We talk about business as being a hypothesis. I think a lot about uh, building a business, it takes a sort of scientific approach. If you've just tried a whole lot of things, but you haven't isolated any variables, then you really are going to be lost in terms of how do I diagnose what I should be doing next? And how can I know whether or not this is normal Yeah, and what my expectation should have been? Yeah. Well, I think without that guidance too that Corbett's talking about, you leave the door wide open for something really scary, which is the comparison game, right? Like mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. absence of the variables that you have defined to measure your own success, what do you do? You look around at other people and ask yourself, well, how do I measure up to that person? And we've talked before on this show about what a trap that is. So I think it's doubly important, not only so that you don't fizzle out, but also so you avoid those horrible feelings of looking around at other people, which by the way, there will always be people with a bigger following than you. But when you don't have that sort of guiding light to figure out how or or if you're successful, you start looking around at other people and that, that that's never helpful, I don't think, in terms of measuring success. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I would just love to, to um, reset here. We're talking today about someone who has gotten to the end of a year and basically yeah. has no progress at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's set aside the I want, you know, big numbers thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's just imagine like, and, and we don't have to imagine because we hear from people all the time who this is reality for. Uh, it's, it, it's not necessarily something that you should expect, but it is somewhat normal. This Mm -hmm. does happen all the time. People work on businesses for a year and then look back and say, wow, I really haven't made any progress. Mm -hmm. What should I do next? Is this worth continuing to pursue? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of you guys. It reminds me of, um, when I used to, I used to travel around the country doing a lot of uh, strategic executive meetings, mm-hmm. a lot of planning committees, a lot of project, a lot of scrums, a lot of skirmishes, right? A lot of this stuff. One of the things that always really connected with the guys in that room, you know, because it was mostly guys at the time, it was during the 80s, there was almost no bit women in business at the time. And those who were, you know, they had the shoulder pads going. We were afraid of them because the shoulder pads, it just meant, you know, we didn't think about football, right? So anyways, we'd be talking to these guys. And one of the things that really would connect with them is this idea of it's a goal you can control. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, it's just one of those things I, want, I like to bring up from time to time, this yeah. idea that it's a goal you can control. That's yeah. what we're focused on. I don't know why we took it in that, like, that, I just imagining 80s Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street. I don't think there's a single, like, lady in that in that business. I feel, that, like, I feel like you could feel yourself heading somewhere dangerous, and I watched you just veer away from it. <laughs> I did. I did, a, like, a nice, subtle yaw to the left. But this idea does preach a goal you can control, right? Which is so great. Hopefully that gets stuck in your mind as some like Matthew McConaughey. Like Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> Matthew McConaughey just like, mm-hmm. Just hitting his chest. Remember that Wolf of Wall Street? Mm-hmm. God, what, was, what must the 80s in cocaine have been like? Um, just like they were printing money. Go watch the 80s on CNN. Amazing, amazing, amazing. When you realize how people thought it was literally, you were just fabricating enormous wealth. From nothing. Incredible. So, this idea of this guy, this cheesy Jim Rohn, you know, motivational speaker, but like preaching something of real honest value, focusing on a goal you can control. That's exactly what you two have said here, right? When you're talking about expectations, Corby, you immediately went to the expectations I want you to set are expectations about what work you're committing to doing. And I love this line you said if you get to the end of 12 months, and you don't even know what you did. All you know is you didn't like reach your goal. And somewhat you didn't like get, you don't, you don't feel the way you wanted to feel or you thought you would feel. You don't have the business you thought you would have or something like that, right? If you don't, if you can't even look back and see, well, here's all the work that I did to get here, you're going to feel be feeling in a bad way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And this is uh, in some ways uh, something that is so essential about b- learning to be an entrepreneur is there is no ceremony. You don't, you don't like finally get, you know, Seth Godin and Gary Vaynerchuk don't come out from behind the curtain and go like, hey, you've made it. You're an entrepreneur now. Like you almost never really feel like, the vast majority of us at least, are making our ends meet and working and doing our things. And you're like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong. I'm certainly not on the cover of Forbes or Fortune or any of these things, but I'm putting money in the bank every single month, right? And I'm creating stuff of value every single day. And I'm serving my customers and I'm doing this thing. And so eventually you have this shift where you just go like, well, here's the things I can control. I can serve my audience. I can learn to create, uh, to, to, to earn revenue from this relationship with them and, ha- and find my way to do that. Such a great, such a great, great realization when you're like, oh, my life is in my hands, not in like Seth Godin's to say. <laughs> to say if you're doing it or not, right? Right. If you're doing it or not. So I think this point on expectations is really, really, really big. And I want to put a bow on it unless either of you have somewhere else to go. But just with, again, just restating, focusing on the goal you can control, even though that's cheesy as I try to say it seriously, I can barely get through it. There's a really powerful message here about, all right, this next 12 months or this next month, what are you committed to working on? That if you finish this, you'll be proud of yourself. I'll be glad and proud of myself for doing this in some small and meaningful way, maybe just, you know, but like this is the stuff to focus on. And then you judge yourself by that. You had an idea that if I did this, it would get people to pay attention. I did this. The people aren't paying attention. Well, at least I did this. Right. What's my next strategy? Right. Right. Because I do need their attention. And and that's important because... If I personally got to the end of a year and didn't have any results to show for it, I would be thinking to myself, that wasn't a good use of my time, whatever that was. And if I want this thing to work, I'm going to have to do something radically different than I've already tried, Mm. right? What I'm doing isn't working. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to try something radically different. And knowing what you have done over the past year, specifically what you've tried and whether or not that worked matters a lot because- if you don't know, you might go into the year two looking back thinking, oh, maybe I just didn't try that one strategy enough. Yeah. If I just tweak something, like mm-hmm. maybe maybe that'll work. And, and yeah. then you might just repeat what you just did the first year in the second year, again, poking in the dark, trying to find something, grasping at straws, hoping that some little tweak is going to lead to results. But in reality, you probably need to wipe the slate clean and start a whole new path mm-hmm. towards you know, this thing. Yeah. Well, and importantly too, if this, if this has happened to you, if this is happening to you right now, as you're listening to this, you've gone a year or some other long, maybe even longer period of time with literally or close to literally no results. 
it would, if it were me, I would start to really have a hard time. I feel like I'd be looking at myself and I would be questioning myself. Like, so more than just questioning the work and being like, well, the stuff I did didn't work. I think I would start to really struggle and ask myself big questions. Like, am I meant to do this? Like, am I cut out for this? Should I just go back to, you know, the day job that I had before? So for people out there, I think who are in this space and, you know, this was inspired by actually a couple different Fizzle members who are in this space right now. I think those conversations are going on in people's hearts and in their minds. And I think it's important to separate that. And I hope we can do that in this conversation too, is maybe Mm. give people a bit of a, a roadmap out or, you know, the diagnosis process to separate yourself from what's gone on in the past year, because I guarantee you, you don't suck. It's not that you aren't cut out for this. There's probably a, a one thing or a few different things that you could tweak, like Corbett said, and make some changes mm. to really impact the results. But I just want to call out the fact that I'm sure somebody out there listening right now is thinking, I just suck and I suck at this and I'm, you know, this isn't meant for me. And I think, I think it's really, really important. This is one of those times where it's really important to separate your own identity and your Mm. own talent from the results that you're getting. You might just have to make a little pivot. And, and that's kind of, I think what we're going to get into. Yeah. I like that. Okay, cool. So that is the, uh, that is the idea on expectations. You know, how do we, what should you be expecting from your twelve next twelve months of work, or from the last twelve months, or something like that. Yeah. And some, and w- one of the things that's actually implicit in there is like you have to design those expectations mm-hmm. of yourself and and your strategy about how you will get the results you want. Right. We. I mean, another thing implicit here is the difference between your work and then the results of that work. Right. There is yeah. a difference between the two. And Corbett's saying. Focus on the work you can do, the goal you can control. And then all of that is a commitment or a strategy that you develop that in the hopes that it's going to get you these results you want to see. But you can't actually hold yourself accountable to the results in the same way. Yeah, that's hard though, because part of me wants to put that on, you know, it's like, well, the work is just the work unless it gets the results. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a real symbiotic relationship between these two things. For those of us who don't have, you know, the magic on us, there's some people who have the magic on them and, and they just do stuff and it accidentally happens. Yeah, you know, they make some, you know, weird blog or web website and it just accidentally happens and it gets really big, you know, just for fun. And now they're like, well, now I got to figure out how to put these trains down or these tracks in front of the train as it's going super fast. Yeah. And the rest of us are like, dude, I built so much track <laughs> and I cannot get this train moving right. at all. You know, you do. I, I would love, um, before we jump into diagnosis, I'd love yeah. to talk about whether or not each of us have examples of people who we know worked on something for a year or more yeah. without anything to show for it and then had a breakthrough that turned into something. Uh, okay. So, Tell me, are you so, thinking of someone so, in particular? Well, yeah, I have one example, but so think about this. Do you Can you think of someone yeah. you know now as successful mm-hmm. who worked on that thing yeah. for a year or more without, without seeing results. huge results. Yeah. And then, and then change something mm-hmm. and saw, and saw a breakthrough from it. Yeah. What are you, who are you thinking of? Um, the one that comes to mind for me is Steve camp from nerd fitness. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great so, example. So Steve worked his ass off as a blogger for, I think going on three years mm-hmm. when he first got started and he didn't really have anything to show for it. He certainly didn't have a business. He barely had anyone reading his blog posts Mm -hmm. and yet he continued on, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And, and I'm sure that was important work that he was doing maybe just to lay the foundation. But at some point he, he asked himself like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I not seeing any results? And is this worth continuing on? Mm -hmm. And I think he was questioning the whole concept of nerd fitness, right? Which all of us talk about now as being this like great branding exercise. Yeah. yeah. Um, But Steve, actually took a hard look at his writing and realized that he was kind of going through the motions. He mm. was putting out um, not very many posts. They were like 500 words or something, and mm. they just weren't emphatic mm. enough. They weren't connecting with people. They weren't valuable. And he um, decided to do some hard work of completely changing his writing, mm. uh, really finding his voice, reaching out and connecting with people writing now if you read his posts you've you've probably seen a lot of them are like two three four thousand words in mm. some cases yeah and he just realized that he had to up the game in terms of trying to cut through the noise and really reach people and connect with them 
And he had that meant he had to totally scrap what he had been doing on his blog yeah. and pivot and do something else. Wow. So he, he shook things up quite a bit in order to find traction finally. Yeah, love that. That's great. I'm trying to think. Steph, can you think of somebody? I'm trying to think of one. You know, I can think of people who went through that experience and then made a big change, like literally were blogging about one topic for an extended period, then took a hard look at what they were doing and realized yeah. that it was not in alignment with what either what they really wanted to be doing with their expertise or both, mm -hmm. and then made a more significant change. I, I can't think of an example of someone who lit, like, like Steve, for example, who literally had the same idea, same concept and made changes and then found success. All the examples I know are more like red and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is worth calling out. Yeah, it the, is. Tell, tell one of the stories you're thinking of. Well, so, so recently I had Amanda Cook of Wellpreneur on the Courage and Clarity podcast, and she was telling us about, it was interesting. She started a blog. Uh, it was a website called Vintage Amanda and it was beauty, um, like health, holistic beauty. And she was going to leave her very corporate digital marketing job to be a health coach. She pursued a certificate in health coaching and she thought that health coaching was going to be her ticket out. And she started health coaching and she hated it. She hated coaching clients. Mm. Like this was going to mm. be her whole business. And she kind of had this like, crumbling of her own dream where she was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now because this is what I thought I wanted to do. Now, what she ended up doing is she now has Wellpreneur, which is a business that does marketing for people in the coaching realm. So she's she just made a pivot based on her expertise. She realized she didn't have to throw out all of her marketing know-how because it turns out she's really good at that stuff. She just didn't want to be coaching clients literally on like what they eat and how they exercise. Yeah. She wanted to be working with people in the health space about how they market. So mm. uh, that is one example that comes to mind for me of someone who is just pursuing the wrong idea and yeah. realized after like a year that it just was off. And then they were, you know, she, in her case, she was able to dig back into her own toolbox of her own expertise and find something that was just a better fit. And now, I mean, her Wellpreneur is doing awesome. She has a podcast and a new book out and mm. um, things have really changed for her. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. W one more example yeah. that, that you know pretty well, Chase. Uh, and this is a Fizzle member named Tom Ross. Yeah. Tom Ross had been uh, blogging on Photoshop tutorials for a long time, a couple of years. And he had modest success with it. He actually had a bit of a following, but he wasn't able to really build a significant business around it. Uh, he found it hard to, to um, engage people and to get them to purchase things and to, to stick around on the, on the site. And Tom decided to stay in the same general topic sphere, mm. but to start a, a new business essentially, which was to offer design tools and software and apps and things at a discount. And that's the design cuts business, which I think we've talked about yeah. recently yeah. here. And that took off for him really mm. quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same person, same skill set, largely the same audience. Yeah. But he made a pivot in terms of how he built the business and the the foundation of the business, really, what they were offering. And um, now he's got like 10 employees or something after he had been banging his head against the wall for a long time wow. with that previous business. Fascinating stuff here. Lifestyle. I, I'm Robin Leach. For some reason, there was one word I, that was Robin Leachy, and I have not. Hello. I'm Robin Leach. No, I'm not gay. Robin Leach. <laughs> Robin Leach. I love to think about all the kitties out there who just have no idea who you're talking about. Life, lifestyle, lifestyles of the rich and famous. I'm Robin Leach. It's pretty good. Yeah, I've done better. All right, let's get into the diagnosis section. I wish I had like a, a way to like push a button and get like a uh, act music. Like, all right, now we're done to the next act of our of our podcast here. You can always. Add that in later, you lazy bastard. No, I'm not going to do that. I've done. I've I've lit. I've edited two hundred and two hundred shows, editing stuff like that in. You know, if I wanted to, and now I'm like, you know what? Screw it. We'll do it live. <laughs> so let's talk about the diagnosis. You're in this situation, and you might not be in some bad, bad, bad situation like you've been working for twelve months and you don't have anything to show for it. You might have been working for uh, twelve months and you have a little bit to show for it, and you don't know if it's good or not, right? Or if you're like, well, I should be doing better, 
but I'm also kind of like doing okay. Like I like where I'm at. Or you're like, what should I, what, I don't know, what, what are the areas I should watch for in the coming months, right? The, what we're going to talk about is a handful of areas that you can, you can look at and ask yourself questions about uh, to see if there is more improvement to do here or maybe more of a strategy to design and create here. So let's start this off, Corbett. I, would you talk about this first one here? Yeah. yeah, sure. So the first thing I always ask when somebody's telling me they haven't gotten results yeah. is I ask about the effort that they put in. Like, what work have you done here? And let's say specifically that someone is podcasting or blogging or making YouTube videos or something and trying to build an audience mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. I would start by asking, uh, okay, you know, how many subscribers do you have? Uh, you know, how many people are, are reading your thing? How many people are coming to your website? That sort of thing. And then next I would ask, how many episodes have you published? How many blog posts have you written? How many videos have you put out? And get a sense for the volume and consistency of that work that they've done. Unfortunately, uh, in half the cases, when I talk to people like this, you find out that they say, well, I, I published 11 you know, and you're, and, and you're wondering like 11 a month. What do you mean? No, 11, 11 blog posts in a year. Well, yeah. You know? And so, um, I think in terms of expectations, like we were talking about earlier, you can't expect to have published a dozen or fewer, no. um, episodes or, or blog posts or anything and expect to have some significant following Yeah. in our start a blog that matters course. We very explicitly tell people that their goal, their first big goal should be to publish a hundred blog posts, mm, mm -hmm. whether that takes a year or two years, yeah. it, it probably will, but it's going to take that long and that much work to get to a point where you should expect a breakthrough. Yeah. And hopefully it'll happen a little sooner if you set yourself on that course and that, that cadence with that consistency. So, you know, that's the first thing I would ask myself if I'm at the end of a year and I don't have results to show for it. And specifically if I'm trying to build an audience, yeah. I would look back and say, how much have I published? And do, is, is it enough to have expected any sort of results? Yeah. There needs to be some sort of volume there. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So the first thing is what is your, you know, publishing consistency? And this is going back again to, to that expectations, the work that you've committed yourself to the, the, the work you can control actually accomplishing. What is your commitment to that work? How regular and consistent are you with it? This is why when we talk about blogging and podcasting, it's so useful because, uh, there's just a publishing calendar. There's a schedule that you give yourself. We publish this show every Tuesday without fail. And for many years there, it was just every Friday because yeah. we had it on Friday. Um, so the, the, in a blog and in a podcast, it's nice because you have to put push publish at some point. You know, if you are maybe a freelancer, you have to be a little creative with this. Like, what is the work that you can control? Maybe those are your sales emails every more, every day. Or, right, or, or the phone calls, the or yeah. the, the number of people that you've met. Speaking events, or or whatever it is that you're like, this is a strategy for me to, to get notoriety or some sort of recognition that I can get clients and draw clients from. Or maybe being an, a guest on podcasts and things like that, right? right? Yeah, so this is, this is, again, this is the direct counterpart to that expectations the work that you can control what is your commitment and how frequent what is the frequency and volume of that work very important I, stuff i think this publishing consistency thing is is huge it's probably mm. from my observation i think the number one thing like it tends it, for me when i have conversations with people in our community about i don't have any results i've been at this for a while and then you ask this question like corbett said most of the time, if you really start to challenge it, I feel like there tends to be a bit of wavering where it's like, well, I did publish for a month and yeah. like every week for a month and then I went on vacation and I kind of forgot. So it's more, I, I would really, really like to challenge people who feel like they've been really slow to get results to truly look at your consistency. Because I don't know, wouldn't you guys agree? It's pretty, I think it's pretty rare to find someone who is published week in and week out yeah. for a year and has zero results. Don't you think? That's a really good point. I don't think it's impossible, right? right. I just but think I, it's less common. I love what you're saying in that it's like, yeah, of, yeah, of course, you, Christmas 
happened, right? And of course, like your son's birthday. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it does, life does get kind of in the way when you're doing, gotta get to school and then pick them up at the end. You know, wow, yeah, I can understand why. I guess you don't, you know, it's like, I wanna, I wanna say, like, I guess you don't really care about this goal. It's like, yeah. no, you do care about this goal, right? And this thing that you wanna, yeah. I know you do, right. but you haven't gone like Blitzkrieg on you it. You care, yet. but you, but you, haven't mustered the uh, the focus and dedication yeah. to do the work day yeah. in yep. and day out and to do it at a high level. You know, thinking about Instagram, for example, the people who are really popular on there, man, they post like multiple times a day, yeah. yep. right? And and then you hear people like, oh, my, I don't have much of a following, you know, and I've but I've published a lot. Mm-hmm. But you look at it and compare it to those who are really successful and it yeah. just, there's just a different tier, you know, mm-hmm. of, of effort that some people put it. Yeah. And one of the, I mean, I guess we, we let, okay, so let's put a pin in that one because we're going to touch a little bit more of it when we go on to this next one, right? Which is to me, I see this happening a lot, but it is also helped when you are, what, what I'm getting at is when you do this publishing consistently thing, or when you do this, like doing your, like finding the work you're committed to and doing that consistently and get doing it on some sort of schedule yes. and you're religious about it, it can help sort out this next one for you, yep. right? This next one is, um, you haven't found the core issue yet. All right. You don't know yet what the value is that you offer your customer, either because you don't know who your customer is or you don't know what their problem is, or you don't know what solution you're actually trying to give them to that thing. For whatever reasons, there's a lot of ways to slice and dice this, but you haven't found the core issue yet, right? You need to, as Corbett said before one day, you need to reflect their language back to them more often, which probably a lot of people who are in this boat probably typically don't know how their customers talk about this kind of thing. Yeah. They've been in their head most of the time. They actually haven't been listening to customers very well on this. And this is one of our really big, you know, bugabears. What's a bugabear, by the way? I don't know. I'll keep going. A bugaboo? It's a boogaboo. It's one of our big boogaboos. It's the dance that we have every every year. It's Sadie Hawkins style. It's where the girl asks the guy. And it's called the boogaboo. Um, So one of our big boogaboos is is this idea of talking, actually scratch that, listening to your customers. We have a course called Customer Conversations, which teaches you how to do exactly that. A lot of times when entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs or people who are early on, especially, they need desperately these insights from the customers and the customers like, or potential customers, potential customers have this information in spades. It is so easy to get it out of them when you know how to do it. But most people are really, really, really bad at it. You'll come at them with your pitch or your like idea or this, that, and you're like, Hey, would you, what if it did this? And when they're like, yeah, that'd be good. Or what if it did this? And yeah, that'd be, you know, people don't know how to talk to customers. Because what you you don't want to be talking to them, you want to be listening to them. Yeah, and you need you need a powerful anchor question. You need to you be need, very very quiet. You need to be very quiet. We're hunting insights. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea here is is, is you have there's probably a wealth of insights that are in your customers, your audience right now, even if it's not very big, that you haven't really committed to learning from to drawing out of them again our customer conversation course really really powerful about this steph put that together i don't know where she got all this information but it must have been some like i don't know some weird drug trip or something she came back with this amazing my background (laughs) insight yeah it's your, or it's your background could just be your background being like you know head of sales training at groupon or something i don't know something like that but Coming back again here, the core thing I'm getting at is you might probably maybe one big thing that you might be realizing or might not know that you haven't realized yet is that you don't yet know what the core issue is yet for these people. Yeah, you're you're, another way of saying it is you're not resonating with people. You're not resonating with them. So let's assume that you've been publishing consistently. You've put out 50 blog posts or 50 podcast episodes or whatever, and you're still not making progress then one of the things that might be wrong is that you aren't resonating with people Mm -hmm. and it means you're you're just not speaking their language for some reason Mm -hmm. and what you're suggesting is you need to do more listening and less talking for a while so that you 
understand what people are saying. Yeah. And then you synthesize that and say it back to them using language that connects with them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cool thing is when you, if you talk to enough customers and you hear a similar problem over and over again, you can eventually start saying things that each individual customer doesn't articulate themselves. Yeah. yeah. And so your understanding of the problem becomes greater than any, any individual customer. Yeah. And that's the point where the old adage is, if yeah. you can explain the problem better than they can, yeah. they will assume yeah. you have a solution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's a really big deal. Go I for don't it, know. Steph. I'm sure people listening, and I certainly have, I'm sure you guys have too, had that experience of being on a sales page or being on a website and, and reading and feeling like they're mind readers, right? Like feeling like, how did they know exactly what I'm looking for? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're going for. And I know people probably know that and they're like, okay, well, yeah, of course I want that. But the answer really is as simple as this listening thing that we're talking about and having those, having enough conversations and going through this process with enough people so that you understand exactly who you are for and what these, what makes these people tick and what like the exact language they're using. And when you're able to put it in a way that's, you know, so appealing to them and so on point with their needs and desires, almost more than they even realize. I think that's really where that's kind of what we're talking about. It's, it can't be so like flagrant and on the surface as like, well, you said this and I'm just going to spin it right back in your face. But it's more sort of this in-depth understanding of who these people are and, and what would really make their lives a lot different and how to help them get there. So it absolutely does come from listening. I feel like people, we talk about customer conversations and people, and I, I totally understand this. And I think I've been there myself too. It's hard to believe that you could get that much just from listening. Like I think our temptation is to think, well, if I could just write it perfectly, if I could come up with the best idea, I would be the most successful. It, I think for whatever reason, we're all pretty hesitant to admit that this really does coming come down to hearing people all the way. And it really mm -hmm. is that simple. I think I have found, I think that the, the people who are out there really capturing their customer's attention have truly listened and understand fully what those people are looking for. And, uh, this doesn't have to just involve customer conversations, like sitting down with customers and actually talking right. to them. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're in the content creation business and you're not making results, you're not getting results, it's likely that you're putting things out there and you're not hearing back from people in any form. You're not hearing back from them in comments or emails or anything. So you need to take steps to engage people. Yeah. You know, in addition to sitting down with them, which we recommend, you should also be surveying people. You should be asking them to leave comments. You should be asking them to email you. Mm -hmm. You should be offering to hold free online sessions just to get people on the phone with you yeah. so that you can hear from them and so that you can practice trying to deliver value to them in those small group sort of settings, yeah. just so that you you get some high bandwidth interactivity with these people, as opposed to continuing to go through the motions, publishing content, not hearing anything back, thinking I must not be doing it yeah. right, publishing something else and not connecting with people to try to see if there's something you could be doing better. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, what are the difference between like someone who is committed to the problem and the people who suffer with that problem is more likely to be already doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Someone who is committed to being successful or a blogger or a podcast or someone who's committed to like having an audience or something like that. Like that's, it's not enough to want to have an audience. It's not enough to want to be successful. It's not enough. You have to have to love the problem and love the people who have this problem and serve them because it matters to you. This is a uh, this is a competitive advantage that will give you insights that other people won't have. Care is a competitive advantage. And so, you know, there are businesses, plenty of successful businesses where that's not necessarily true. They saw the opportunity and they took it. But you're not, you know, you're not talking about wielding a couple million dollars with venture capital and hiring, you know, smart kids to be your marketers and your product makers and your designers and your this, that, and the other that can reach out to the people and speak their language, right? You, you're, you have to be everything yourself. That's why I think for you, it's essential that you fall in love with the problem and that you, uh, you live to serve that problem. 
And chances are, if you do, if you if you're honest with yourself about the thing you're working on right now, you might not necessarily love that problem, right? May that maybe that's why you haven't been publishing so much because you're like, well, it's not really working, and I'm in this and to maybe, get the audience, right? And, you and know? maybe that's why you're not connecting with people, yeah. Also, and well, this is this is a big deal. Go for I it, think, Steph. I think that's a huge point too. There's, I think what I, part of what I'm hearing and what you're saying, Chase, is there's a good chance that if you're in this boat, maybe you don't know who you're talking to. Like that's another mm-hmm. big thing I feel like we run into is people don't know exactly who their people are. And we've we've had other conversations on this show about target market and understanding that ideal client and really being able to envision the face and a name of a person who like would be the perfect reader of your blog or your podcast, whatever the case may be. And if you don't really know who that person is, if your audience feels kind of slippery and you're sort of like, well, it, c- it could help this person, but kind of this other person over here too. I really think that people overlook that. I think that's yeah. a big, that's a big piece of this is maybe you just don't have a good enough handle on who you're even talking to. I have found myself, it is so much harder to podcast or write for if I don't know who I'm writing to, you know, like if I have someone that I can kind of almost imagine I'm writing for them or talking to them personally, it goes so much better. So that might be something to examine too. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think naturally these things end up kind of falling into place and getting worked out when you are strategically committed to, or when you are consistently committed to a strategic publishing plan. And by publishing, I don't necessarily mean like publishing, like blogging and podcasting, but just some sort of like the equivalent in whatever in the world that you're in. Some sort of this is the first one that we that we that we talked about. Some sort of consistency, commitment to the work, mm-hmm. right? And this is what I am committing to doing, and hopes that that will get me the results. But I can't guarantee the results. I can guarantee the work, and I'm consistent and focused, and I am dedicated to it. You do this if you write a hundred blog posts. Right. In a year, if you write a hundred blog posts, uh, you are going to have some where people start commenting, maybe because you each one of those you're putting in Facebook and you're just with your little private community of people who are paying attention to you on social family and friends and stuff like that. That's where people start. Um, and even there, you will start to see some chatter and uh, over the course of a hundred blog posts. And this is how you can get clued into what people resonate with and who it is you're talking to, right? So, so far we have three. You're not publishing consistently enough. You haven't found the core issue yet. You, you don't, maybe you don't know it very, maybe you don't know it enough yet. And you're not listening to your customers enough. Uh, and then the third one, what Steph mentioned is, is maybe you don't know exactly who you're, you're talking to. Maybe you're not completely clear on who it is you're targeting when you're thinking about this. Um, the next one here is you might have like the wrong kind of design or message or hook, mm-hmm. right? You might be picking what I'll call a different, uh, the wrong angle, right? So if I'm trying to sell deodorant, there's a lot of different ways I can sell that deodorant, right? I can do it based on the cost of it. Oh, it's the cheapest deodorant. It's really affordable. Everybody can do it. I could do it on the effectiveness of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, people really need, who really need an effective deodorant, this is the one. I could do it on like the quality of the materials that are in it, the naturalness could of it. do it on it. a niche like deodorant for hippies. Do, do it like, like, hey, this is what, you know, Frank Zappa used. Yep. Right? And I can go towards that direction. I can do this is the, the deodorant of, uh, you know, people who have shaken the world. Right, the Einstein deodorant. Yeah. Right, the Think Different deodorant. <laughs> dreamers. Right, the dreamers of the dreams. So uh, these are what we could call the hook or the angle, right, or the USP in some ways, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, if you don't know, we have some really great uh, article and guide on USP, which is unique selling proposition. It's one of the most important concepts in business. Uh, it's something you know innately, but but you need to do a little bit of learning about about what exactly it is, because if you're not strategically, sort of intelligently making it work for your business, you could be leaving lots and lots of money on the table. And we have a free guide that shows you 20 different big, like real companies and their USPs and kind of tells you a little bit about them. Really, really good. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode, which you'll be able to find at fizzleshow.co slash 214. For the USP guide, um, back to this, this idea that you have the, maybe you have the wrong design or message or hook. Okay. This is possible. You might be going on a total, like crazy, on a total, like strong, hardline direction with your message when really 
people want to hear this other kind of message over here more often, or you're alienating some people with, with your message. Now, this is kind of challenging because how do you know what the right message is? Uh, in my experience of doing this sort of professionally, semi-professionally for like 15 years, it, it's always a gamble and it's a lot of feel. It's a lot of feel, right? And that's why you know people used to hire me to do that to figure, I mean, Pat Flynn hired Corbett and I to do that for him. Right. We ended up writing the taglines and the headlines and the things for a lot of the, the pieces of copy on his site because it, they were fresh. They were good. They really got to the heart and the message of the thing and they nailed the thing. And all of that came from feel, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, there's a lot of research that goes into it as well. I totally. Mean, you, you look at yeah. all the competition out there. Yeah. You read every single interaction you can with, with, yeah. with uh, readers. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that you famously did whenever you worked with people was you'd have them call 10 of their best customers yeah. or most prototypical customers yeah. and record an hour long conversation with them, like yeah. diving into it. And then you would listen back to that and pull out. So that's where the feel and the art is, I think, of yeah. pulling the message out of the the competitive studies mm-hmm. and the customer studies and so yeah. on. Yeah. But as an individual business owner, you have to do that yourself. Yeah. I think what is maybe missing for a lot of people here that would help them develop the right message design hook is a competitive analysis. We already mm. talked about customer conversations, yeah. but looking at the competitive landscape and trying to figure out like what's working for other people out mm. there. Mm. And how is mine inferior to those? Yeah. Or, or how am I not competing at that level? Or, and even just being able to categorize or label the differences. Oh, I'm more like this than them. Or I'm less like this than them. Or here's the five ways that I'm different from them. Just, just kind of to be able to empirically notice the difference is a big deal. Steph, when we talk about this, uh, the wrong design, the wrong message, the wrong hook, does anything come up for you? I think, you know, it, it, to me, I just can't stop thinking about how it just goes back to the customer and, and understanding them. I think it's another manifestation of the same thing. I think that yeah. if you're designing with that person in mind, that's all I can think of is just that understanding who exactly you're talking to. This person cares about this thing, not about that thing. If you don't know what appeals to them and what doesn't, I just think it's going to be really hard to optimize your message for the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's really, really true. I mean, in this, in that sense, we could kind of take, you know, you have the wrong design, you have the wrong headline, you have the wrong hook, you have the wrong, you know, headlines, you know, topics that you're writing about for your blog. So maybe like the overall, the big topic is good, but this individual topic for this blog post is like, no, you're, you're, you're not, you're not, we like the big thing. It's just all of these little specific things that we're not resonating with. Yeah. And maybe that sounds petty, but I mean, really I'm thinking, especially too, as far as design goes, if you, like, if you're trying to reach a certain group of people but your website is like hot pink and the people you want to reach, like that's just not their style. Like they're more kind of like black and white type people, you know, that's just what appeals yeah. to them. Like these are yeah. things that maybe they, they seem so easy to overlook, but if someone lands on your page and they're just not feeling your vibe, that could be enough right there to, to have them not even get as far as your content. So again, it just goes back to really understanding what exactly these people are looking for and being in their head enough to, to know those subtle differences that I think add up in a, in a big way. Yeah, it's funny. Um, if you if you don't have the tools to make design work well for you, sometimes it's best to err on the side of minimal. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Right. Absolutely. And uh, no, let, say say that again because it's really really important from a design perspective. Yeah, if you don't have the the skills, which very few people do, to make um, elaborate designs work for you, then it's best to err on the side of minimal. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really important. And let your customer Im- imbue your words or, you know, audio or whatever it is that you're providing with what they want to, as opposed to you uh, putting some outfit on your content that yeah. might uh, might turn them off before they even get into your words. Yeah. Again, because what you're doing is you're signaling all of these essential values with this design to people. Uh, and you've never decided that those are essential, but everybody's interpreting them as essential. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you know, he's to this or she's to that, right? For me, like I'll stick with this other one I've already been reading, 
right? So we make all these immediate snap judgment decisions based on design and feel and stuff like that. Um, if you're interested in learning more about this, we have a course in inside of the Fizzle course library on the essentials of design for business builders, not for designers, okay? It is for business builders, people who are not professional designers, who don't have a ton of money to pay for a fancy designer to do their whole thing, but maybe have some money to work with a designer for a sort of more classic or minimal design like Corbett's talking about. Or you use a Squarespace or a WordPress to, to use a theme that has a more minimal vibe that already built in. You can absolutely do that as long as you can sacrifice some of what's already in your head for a more essential minimal design. And that's the kind of stuff I get into. What is the essence? How do we resonate with people? What is our core values that we put into our site? What are the, yeah, I also get into, you know, what are the pages that should be there for the sake of our conversion, you know, uh, and, and our strategy there. So that is all within Fizzle. Again, as a Fizzle Show listener, you get five weeks for free, which is really big at fizzle.co slash try five. Okay, let's burn through these next two. I'll start with the last one first, since we just mentioned conversion. Okay, conversion funnel. Your conversion funnel may not be working. So people might be coming to your website, but they're not converting into anything right? So a classic example of this is one of the, one of the things that can really supercharge your conversion on your site is you have a, some sort of a giveaway. Someone lands on your site, they're interested in uh, tying their own flies for fly fishing. You have a 10 page guide on the five most uh, common and useful flies to be able to tie, get it for free right here, or a four video series on the same topic or something like that, right? Some sort of a guide that connects with them and that they're like, okay, I want that. They give you the email address and now you can get in touch with them uh, in, a, in a, you know, in a responsible and humane way. So the question, I say responsible and humane because that's what you're doing, right? You're not being a jerk, are you? Because that's not going to last for very long. Um, your conversion funnel might not be working. So one of the examples of this is your giveaway that you have on your site just isn't the right fit, something like that. Or you maybe don't have a giveaway. But this is a secondary problem. If your first problem is, I don't have any people coming to my website. Right. Fixing this isn't going isn't right. to fix anything. This is another, you know, when, when we talk to people, and again, this happens all the time, we uh, try to help people diagnose especially on the, the fizzle, um, fizzle Friday conference calls that we do group coaching calls. Um, you know, if somebody says I've been working on this for a year and I don't have any results, then this is one of the questions I'll get into is not only how many people are visiting your site, but how many people are signing up for your email list or how many yeah. people are subscribing. And if they have low subscriber numbers, then it could be that their offer isn't converting for a number of reasons. One of those reasons could be, you know, before that, we talked about not having the right hook. Mm -hmm. They might not be resonating with their customers. And this is evident within that conversion process, right? Because if you are resonating with people, then, and your, and your um, giveaway, an email giveaway is using similar language, yeah. then it could also be just how that is presented to people. Maybe it's not up front and center. Maybe yeah. they're not showing it to them totally. frequently enough. There are a number of different reasons why that might not be working, but, if you're getting people to your website, if it seems like they're reading other articles or sticking around, they're not just bouncing right away, and you're still not able to convert them, then it's probably something to do with just the mechanics of how you're trying to convert them. Yeah, yeah. It might be that you don't have a big enough incentive, right? Right. Like you're not offering something valuable enough. Mm -hmm. It might be you're not asking enough, right? You could not be just asking enough. Chances are enough. it's not a technology piece, right? It's not yeah. like installing this thing is going to fit the same way that like, you know, so if I, it's not like a, a you know, maybe a pop-up because a pop-up, then you're really asking, right? But then you're also being a jerk. You're also interrupting them, you know, before you have shown them that you have anything valuable, right? So you gotta, you gotta have a balance on these things. Obvi obviously everybody's putting pop-ups on things, uh, in the retail world. If you notice this all retail world, it's just like pop-ups everywhere. Oh, it's the worst. You land on a, on anything where like they sell clothes or something like that. It's like, Hey, before really quick, really quick, we just, yeah, please get us your email. Right. Yeah. And they, they have no good incentives, no good incentives, like literally no good incentives. Occasionally it's like you get a percentage off, 
and if I know I'm going to buy something, I go for it. But I don't ever know I'm going to buy something. Yeah. I'm there to I'm there to hunt and browse, right? So your conversion funnel might be working. Uh, Steph, anything to add on that one? I don't think so. I think, you know, one thing that I, I guess I will add sometimes what I see most frequently is people will have some, you know, you, you start to diagnose these things like we're talking about and they'll say, yeah, I have an email box. Like I have a box on my website and you look at it and it's something like, you know, subscribe to stay up to date. And that's like one of the most common things I think we see is get our newsletter or get my newsletter. And I think what we're talking about is like, that's just not going to be the thing. I mean, you just have to think of it from your own vantage point. A newsletter in in this day and age is just not that interesting. There's just a million of them out there. So I really think that challenging what you're giving people is key. And I think the technology piece we kind of said, Chase, I think you said that sort of on the fly. That's a that's a big one. I was just having a conversation with a fizzler earlier today who wanted to do like a really fancy quiz on his website that would like give people results. And yeah. He was asking me how to do that. And I was like, listen, you know, that's so great. And it's so ambitious that you want to do that. But literally just scrap that and like, or fine, if you want to do a quiz, make it a PDF that they can, that will just be delivered through MailChimp and they can go through the quiz and score themselves. You know, you don't have to have like a super fancy thing that's going to spit this result out at people. That's not really, it's not the technology I think is is something that I, I hope people hear from this conversation is it's really the value that's, that's inside what you're giving away versus how you're packaging it. Same thing with website. It's, it's all the same. And that's why that design course that uh, Chase mentioned that we have inside Fizzle is so helpful because you know you can have minimal uh, you you can have a minimal website with a minimal sort of packaging for your giveaway and still have it be super professional and hard hitting. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then finally, that's your conversion funnel might not be working well, right? So there's all these little tricks that you can do for that. Um, and then finally, Corbett wrote down this other one that you might have been you might be working in the wrong medium. Tell me what you think about that, Corbett, because I think this is really interesting. Yeah. So, you know, it's possible that if you started a blog, for example, that your customers aren't all that interested in reading your content. Maybe it's better suited to them to listen to your content or Mm -hmm. to watch something. Um, You know, for example, let's say you were trying to teach people how to tie uh, flies, right? It might be best over video. Maybe it's not so good over, uh, you know, a, a blog post. Just because of the nature of the information, maybe the nature of where people are searching for it, it could also be that you, as the creator, could be better suited to certain kinds of content, right? It might mm-hmm. be that you're a natural at podcasting, but that blogging is is really hard for you, or it could be vice versa. Maybe you're better at writing than you are at video. So you have to find this combination of what medium does the information beg to be yeah. within, where are my customers most likely to want to consume this? And what am I going to be best at producing? And hopefully there's an overlap of all those three things and one medium that might work best for you. If you've been working on something for a year and don't have a lot of results, then I would be wondering, is it either I'm not good at this or I'm not interested in creating this kind of content? Are my uh, readers not looking for it in this place? Or is the information just not really suited for this medium? Yeah, I like that. It's a fascinating question because I think a lot of us get pretty myopic about what we're actually doing, right? Uh, and and the true thing that we are all doing, truly, what we are all doing is we're trying to get people interested in our thing, right? Or we're trying to, to uh, get them to pay us with their attention, with their attention. And so in order to do that, sometimes you got to be where they are. So here's what we have. We're, you're not publishing consistently enough. Uh, you haven't found the core issue yet. Maybe you don't know exactly who you're talking to. Maybe you have the wrong design message or hook. Your conversion funnel might not be working very well, or you might be working in the wrong medium. Those are six different areas you can use to sort of diagnose what your situation, your issue, your problem is right now. Steph, just in closing here, given all the things that we talked about, this idea of like, what if you've been working on things for a year and you're not seeing much result? Can you kind of send us off with a little note from Steph on like, I don't know, what are you, what are you thinking after all of the things that we've just talked about? What I'm thinking is, and this is something that we talk about a lot in in Fizzle, it's one of our three rules to build by. It's in our customer conversations course. But what comes to mind for me is this whole concept, which truly has been 
revolutionary for me in terms of how I look at business. And I think I can say the same for a lot of our members is keeping in mind that everything in your business is a hypothesis. Everything Mm. is testable. Everything is changeable. And I think that 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 does a number of things. It allows you, and Chase, you put it so well, it allows you to be that scientist wearing the white lab coat with the clipboard, just testing stuff. And I think the value there is you can separate yourself, your own self-worth, your own sort of like, when I go home at the end of the day and judge myself, like how I decide whether or not I measure up, you know, it helps to really look at this as you can tweak, you can look at what's what works, what doesn't. You can te- treat everything as something that you can test, engage, and make changes. And there's been tons of people, if you're in this space right now and you're listening to this, there have been so many people who have come before you who have been grinding it out for months and months and then something shifts and they change something and they tweak something and they figure out what was missing and the whole thing breaks wide open. So I guess I just would want people to know to, you know, don't give up, but be scientific about this. Be analytical, be be vulnerable enough to start talking to people and ask people what they see when they come to your website. If, if your mom reads it, I mean, these are conversations you can have. I was recently having a conversation with a friend of mine who came on the Courage and Clarity podcast recently. It was Adrian Dorison, and she was talking about how she was having some of these struggles. And she literally just started talking to a few of her clients and said, what do you think of when you think of me? And I thought that was really interesting. So all of that to say, just treat all of these things as variables that you can tweak and change and uh, nothing is permanent. I love it. That helps. I love that, Steph. All right, Corbett and Steph, thank you so much. That has been episode 214 of The Fizzle Show. You can find the show notes, all the links and some text about this where we've written out all of these things for you to you know, be able to come back quickly and browse through them at fizzleshow.co slash 214. And while you're there, pick up that guide to the 20 different unique selling propositions. We have a lot of different guides that are free for you completely at fizzle.co slash guides. Again, fizzle.co slash guides. Here's an iTunes rating from Waskard Wallets in the US of A who says, start with episode 140. He says, if episode 140, which is how to create your own definition of success, resonates with you, you'll love the podcast and the Fizzle community. You'll find motivation to do the hard work, a community to help you keep going, great advice from down-to-earth experts, and even a little entertainment sprinkled in along the way. That is so awesome to read from somebody. You have to understand that's amazing to read. So, dear listener, our goal here is to help you make progress on your business every single week. It is difficult to put one foot in front of the other, and that's why we make this show and make it freely available for you. So, if you'd like this, if you're digging it, could you please write us a review? Just simply search for The Fizzle Show in iTunes Store and click Write a Review. In closing, here's a quick uh, quote from Seth Godin that I found today that I really liked. He says, If we can fall in love with serving people, creating value, solving problems, building valuable connections, and doing work that matters, it makes it far more likely we're going to do important work. Find care. Take care. Serve hard and dig in. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show.